Deep in concentration with furrowed brow, a hooded, robed man leans over a table. Strapped to this table is another man. However, he is lying there naked in a pool of his own blood. Bright light shines upon this table, while the rest of the room is shrouded in deep darkness. Amongst this inky blackness, shapes can be seen moving, and a sound, a haunting sound, dim at first and slowly growing into a crescendo, the haunting murmurs of a group of people reciting that which is long practiced, seemingly thrown aside, discarded as nothing more than a wrapper on a candy bar, lies an arm an arm that once belonged to the man who is strapped to the table. At the head of this table is a machine, a strange machine, complete with robotic limbs, capped with scalpels, forceps, and other various surgical instruments. Inspecting the cut on the man's arm, the hooded figure steps back and turns to address the shadowy, murmuring figures who surround him. He reaches his arms up towards the sky, and his head leans back, hood falling off, revealing the half-cybernetic, half-human face of Creed. Known here, deep within the ammonia-rich industrial complex of Osseus as the Prophet. With his one cybernetic eye whirling in anticipation, the murmuring of his congregation dies away. Today, my children, you will witness the transformation, the ascension of this man's once tortured flesh, the source of his weakness, the source of his pain, the source of his temptation, removed and replaced with something greater. The ceremony of ascension has begun. He reaches down and picks up the arm from where it was unceremoniously discarded on the ground. Today, my children, we will witness this man being reborn anew, finally becoming one of the ascended. With complete and utter disregard, Creed drops the man's arm back onto the floor, spits on it, and turns back to the machine, which comes alive as he begins to manipulate the controls. And the painful process of affixing a new perfect cybernetic arm begins with a scream as the man who was passed out on the table awakens to the sickening sensation of nerves being tied into steel. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome back to One Guy, One Roll. As always, I am your host, player, and GM, Hero Cities. Today we will be continuing to follow the journeys of Nikora Sokolov and the Second Chance throughout the Forge using Iron Sworn Starforged. If you didn't guess from the brief intro we had for this episode, we are going to be continuing to delve into the strange transhumanistic cult, which seems to be spreading or at least operating on the ammonia mining and processing station of Osseus, which orbits the Jovian world known as Tyr. In the admittedly rather inhospitable living conditions aboard this facility, Creed has managed to secure a number of followers to this religion, cult, whatever you want to call it. 
which is centered around the idea that humanity is weak. The various pains and ailments that are suffered by the people of Osseus is tied to the flesh and that the way to salvation and some sort of enlightenment or whatever you want to call it, he calls it the ascension, to ascend means to replace the weakness of the flesh with the strength of metal and cybernetic enhancements like he has done to a lot of his own body. However, as we saw in the introduction, this process is certainly not painless and nor is it easy. Cybernetics in general are quite rare in the Forge, especially outside of high-level guild members or the noble families themselves who can actually afford them. I don't think it's necessarily a lost technology, but high-end cybernetics especially are astronomically expensive, which can lead to a reasonable amount of smuggling or even outright piracy in order for Creed's cult to acquire them. The Ceremony of Ascension, as Creed calls it, is awarded to one of his followers by the replacement of some part of their body with a cybernetic enhancement. In the case of our introduction, the man is getting his arm replaced with a cybernetic arm, undoubtedly an expensive and rare commodity only awarded to the most loyal of his children. Naturally, this episode is going to be a continuation of last episode, during which, after a brief intro of Petra struggling to stay awake as she is keeping a close watch over the inactive Subject Alpha, she grappled with her own memories of her twin sister, Amari. The rest of the episode was dedicated to what happened to Nakora after he left the second chance and attempted to locate someone aboard Osseus who might be able to either replicate or extract information from Subject Alpha's memory core, which Nakora had originally, as our initial Iron Vow, sworn to Creed that he would would return it to him. During their initial meeting, Nakora was a little put off by Creed, but certainly wasn't aware of any of this weird cult-like behavior that was occurring deep within this industrial colony. When Nakora had awoken after being knocked out previously by two individuals sporting obvious cybernetic enhancements, he woke up with his arms and legs bound inside of a makeshift prison that was reeking of ammonia. This prison ended up being an ammonia tank, which Nakora was soon let out of by a clearly very sick man who was coughing up blood and had burn marks all over his body that was exposed and was generally suffering from some kind of sickness probably related to the ammonia-rich environment that these people are subjected to. Obviously not sure where he was being led or to who. Nakora believes that he was captured by pirates or some sort of organized criminal activity and that they were probably going to kill him and try to steal his ship. Whether or not that's the case, Nakora comes up with a rather desperate plan which led to him literally getting the drop on his captor and managing to 
get away while leaving the man tied up in some dark abandoned corner of the ammonia processing facility. He did, however, learn that someone by the name of the Prophet had ordered the man to bring Nakora to him. However, this man did not know who the Prophet actually is. Our episode ended with Nakora climbing up to a higher portion of this processing facility where we preemptively rolled to complete our Iron Vow, which we got a strong hit on. However, what interaction is going to occur between Nakora and the Prophet has yet to be seen. Beyond that, as always, we have two of our clocks to roll on. Now, I don't think that either one has really had much opportunity to progress, so I think it's very unlikely they're going to do so. We got a no to both of them. However, there were no exceptional no's, so the clocks won't retreat either. Thank you so very much for taking the time out of your day to listen to One Guy, One Roll. And with our introduction out of the way, without further ado, let's get into it. Upon reaching the top of the ladder, the air seems to be a little bit less thick and heavy and scented with the stink of ammonia. Perhaps all of that heavier, denser air tends to settle down below where Nakora can now see across this quite substantial processing facility deep within the bowels of this. Well, let's call it what it is. It's basically an orbital station that's in very low orbit, just kind of skimming more or less above these ammonia-rich clouds of this strange, inhospitable Jovian planet. Of course, the ever-present stench of ammonia still hangs in the air up here. It burns less. It's less caustic. Finally able to take in a deep breath without searing discomfort, Nakora eyes the industrial catwalk in front of him as he follows the instructions given to him by his once captor, who is now tied up somewhere down below in some dead-end corridor. Not entirely trusting of the man's instructions, Nakora shortly finds himself in front of a door. A door that looks like so many others in this industrial environment. Heavy, dirty, and made of steel. Nakora looks over this door, and does he discover anything suspicious? Not like a trap or anything like that, but is there anything that would put him on edge about this door? And we are going to secure an advantage using expertise, focus, or observation. Roll plus wits, which for us is a three. We rolled a four on our action dice and a six and a five on our challenge dice, giving us a strong hit. On a strong hit, take both plus two momentum, which happily brings our momentum up to seven, and a plus one on our next move. So as Nakora looks over this door, is it, well, I think it's going to be manually operated, so it's not like electronically opened or anything like that. Is it locked from the outside? It seems to me somewhat likely that it's locked. 48, so yes, the door is locked. Or more likely, it's just been barred from the other side. 
knowing that he would make a ton of ruckus trying to open said big, heavy, rusty, industrial door. Nakora looks around for an alternative, a different way around the door in front of him. With our successful securing advantage roll, Nakora discovers this other way around the door. Is it a side door or is it like an air vent or something like that? I don't know. We'll say it's 50-50 that it's a air vent. 56 is a no, so it's not an air vent. What could it possibly be? I suspect this place probably doesn't have a lot of ventilation to begin with, so that actually makes sense. If we go down to our derelict and look at the derelict section of the rulebook under access, and let's see if that gives us any ideas about what it might be. This is under the derelict access area table. 77, catwalk or bridge. Since we did roll on an oracle with doubles, double sevens, it does not make a random event because our chaos factor is a six and we have to roll at or below it in order to trigger that aspect of the mythic GM emulator, which I'm trying to remember and incorporate a little more frequently into the game. So looking at this door in front of him, the core realizes it's sealed tight. There's simply no easy way to access this area, especially not quietly. However, quickly thinking back to the large open room with the ladder, Nakora remembers a crisscrossing network of catwalks dangling down from the ceiling, perhaps which would allow workers to access the various lifts and other various industrial mechanisms on the ceiling of the large, open, industrial floor. He begins to wonder if perhaps using one of those various catwalks might allow him to access into the room on the other side of the heavy steel industrial door, which is locked in front of him. Retracing his steps back to the ladder, which he climbed up from, does Nakora encounter anyone? Not that this is a heavily trafficked area or anything, but it's possible. It's just unlikely. We rolled a 12. So yes, he does encounter somebody. Who does Nakora encounter on his way back? Oh, that's interesting. Nakora definitely looks out of place in this industrial area. He's not dressed for work. He's not dressed, as we've seen now a few times, in the garb of one of these followers of the prophet. No, Nakora just looks like, well, it's been a long time since we've talked about what Nakora looks like, but since he's not wearing his environmental suit, he is instead kind of like a weird mix between someone living in the Old West and a smuggler like Han Solo. He has a dusty, worn, old leather duster. He doesn't have his signature rebreather. It must be with Stubbs and some of his other equipment, which was not on him when he awoke. 
And he also usually has a rather comprehensively stocked tool belt as well, complete with a small welding torch, a lock picking set, and a few other various miscellaneous goodies like a cutting torch tucked in there. And of course, the, the locket, which he still does have, which contains a picture of Zari. And tucked away deep within the folds of his duster, the little box which contains his chunk of iron, a little bit of what's left from the spent fuel that came over from the original Exodus ships. Regardless, the woman who he encounters, coming the opposite way, having just climbed the ladder, has a thick robe with the cowl pulled low over her eyes. The only way Nakora can tell that it's actually a woman is the surprise on her face as she pulls herself up the ladder and finds Nakora standing there. How does she initially react to Nakora? She responds with a small start and quickly pulls herself up to the top of the ladder and gives him a look over once up and down and cracks a rather disconcertingly wild grin. Finally, I found somebody, she says with her wide, toothy grin. Tell me, am I too late? Did I miss it? Is it already over? Nakora simply raises a hand to try and at least slow down the slightly frazzled woman. Not quite sure what she's talking about, but seeing that she's dressed similarly to the men who had jumped Nakora previously, he reacts carefully. No, I don't think you're late, he says. I think there's still time for it. She shoots back another wide grin towards him. Does she reveal any information or ask any other questions of him? To find that out, we're going to open Une, our universal NPC emulator, response table. Now, she is both curious and eccentric. So, it goes without saying, she's inquisitive. We rolled a three. Questions? 43. Friends. She once again looks at him up and down, noting his obviously different attire, and her once wide smile tempers a bit. I know that I am late. What are you doing out here? She looks him up and down again. Child. Nakora's face inadvertently scrunches up at being called a child. He really honestly doesn't know how to respond to this woman. So, in typical Nakora fashion, he's gonna wing it. And we, unfortunately, need to see how that goes. Without really having any other options, we're gonna try and compel this woman that we are supposed to be here. This is a bold-faced lie, so this is going to be plus shadow. A plus two? We do have a plus one from earlier. Hell yeah. We rolled a six, and there's a six and a four on our action dice. So with an eight, we got a strong hit. On a strong hit, they'll do what you want or agree to your conditions. Plus one momentum, bringing us up to a very nice plus eight. Nakora's mind is racing, thinking about what kind of excuse he could come up with. Well, you see, it's my job to oversee outside security, to ensure that there are no interruptions for the ceremony today. She glances down at the gun in Nakora's holster, which barely fits, by the way, because it is much smaller than Stubbs, glances at his attire, and the wide grin reappears on her face. 
That's very smart. We never thought to use a disguise such as this. Seems out of place here, but maybe it makes more sense topside. Anyways, if you say there's still time, I must hurry on. Good day, child. She says with a flourish and another smile as she continues on. Nakora barely registering the fact that one of her legs is clearly heavier than the other, and she struggles to pull it along behind her. Nakora is simply happy that he was able to get out of the situation without anything untoward occurring. Unbeknownst to Nakora, he was lucky. She was, in fact, a pilgrim from off-world, an offshoot of the cult which has been begun here by Creed. Therefore, she does not know who all the members are aboard Osseus. Back in the large industrial room, Nakor spies one of these catwalks running along the ceiling, connecting to a narrow corridor high above along the roof. Deducing that this is likely the best option he has in order to access the room, he begins a rather dangerous climb up the side of the wall, trying to make his way to this catwalk. I don't think that speed is of the essence here, and that this is, unfortunately, going to be a strength-based roll. The climb is hard, there's not much to hold on to, and he is tired, worn down, and his endurance has been drained by the stinking ammonia-rich atmosphere when he was trapped down below. We have a one in iron as we face danger. We rolled a nine and a four on our challenge dice and a two on our action dice. Unfortunately, that would be a miss. However, we are going to burn our momentum in order to make it a weak hit. We currently have eight momentum, now resetting to two. On a weak hit, you succeed, but not without a cost. Make a suffer move. In this case, I think he's going to endure harm from just the extreme fatigue he's feeling and this rather acrid, acidic burning deep within his lungs. He's wheezing by the time he manages to scramble his way up to the catwalk above, many stories above the floor below. That will take our health down to one. Then, if we want, we can choose to resist, but I don't think we're going to. It's simply too risky at this point. Laying there, face down on the metal grating of this industrial catwalk, Nakora, drained of health, drained of spirit, and a rumbling in his belly, reminding him that he had to skip dinner last night. Cora reflects on his situation. They need a break. They need some time to recoup and recover. Shit has gone wrong at every turn for the second chance. Ever since he took this contract, this job from Creed, he's been to one end of the sector to the other, beaten up by weird alien space creatures, put on trial, almost blown up by pirates, kidnapped and stuffed inside of some reeking ammonia tank, and all of the other shit that's gone down. He needs a rest. They all need a rest. Korra's not feeling much like Tycoon right now. However, it's going to take more than that to keep Nakora Sokolov down, and he pushes himself up, gets to his feet, and proceeds to the end of the catwalk, where, squeezing through a narrow access corridor, he finds himself in a strange room, high above it, along another catwalk that circles around it. 
Below, in the only source of illumination in the room, stands the old cowled man, just finishing the last and final touches connecting the cybernetic arm to the man on the table, long passed out, suffering from shock from the pain and probably blood loss of the procedure. The murmuring crowd in the darkness, rhythmically chanting or humming or murmuring, Nakora can't quite tell, in unison. Seemingly without warning, Creed throws back the hood covering his face, the metallic cybernetic side of his face gleaming under the harsh light, his two robotic arms raised high in celebration. The ceremony of ascension is complete. Welcome to the family, brother. The man still completely passed out doesn't respond. He looks out into the darkness over the rest of his flock. Today, you have all witnessed a transformation, an ascension of the flesh. Reflect upon this day, children. Reflect upon it, and remember to follow the ascended. And with that, the light illuminating the table dims, and the throng of people, now quiet in deep reflection, shuffle their way out into the corridor beyond the locked door leaving only Nakora standing high above on the catwalk, the man strapped to the table, and Creed in the room. As Nakora starts to contemplate what to do next, Creed begins to unstrap the man from the table, gingerly picks him up like he weighs nothing, and begins to carry him out of the back of the room. Seeing no immediate way to follow them out, Nakora calls down to Creed below who, upon discovering Nakora high above on the walkway, grants him permission to meet with him once the Ascended has been tended to. A few minutes later, Nakora finds himself standing across from Creed, who is seated upon a raised dais. Perhaps you are more resourceful than you appear, child, Creed says. You didn't kill William, did you? Nakora shakes his head, assuring Creed that his escort is perfectly fine. Why did you apprehend me like that, Creed? We had a deal. I'm back here to give you the memory core you so desire. Creed merely laughs a kind of strange, almost cybernetic sound, like a computer-generated laughter, which is strange because his voice is that of a human, but his laughter is robotic and hollow-sounding. Nikora, I was informed that you were sneaking around in my home trying to deceive me, trying to replicate this priceless artifact you promised to deliver me. If you were actually coming here, you would have it on you. His cybernetic eye whirls around, narrowing the aperture. You're lucky I just didn't have my men go up and seize your ship. But the ceremony had to continue, had to proceed on time. So, child, I give you one chance to do what's right. Give to me the memory core, and not some cheap duplicate or copy of the information, and you're free to go. Of course, this response is due to our successfully, last session, having rolled to complete our vow. Nakora makes a show of thinking about it and agrees. He will return back to the second chance, secure the memory core, and give it to one of Creed's representatives. They will get the agreed upon reward, and that will be that. 
Turning to leave and thinking their business concluded, Nakora is stopped when Creed speaks up. Tell me, Nakora, what did you find in that space station? What was the memory core attached to? I must know. Cora is stopped by the force of that question, by the almost underlying desperation. Glancing back over his shoulder to the large robed man, Nakora simply shrugs. It was in the science department aboard Prosperity. It appeared as though they were doing some sort of research into the device. I ain't one for doing this kind of science stuff. I'm more of a acquisitions kind of guy. But it struck me as odd, Creed. This thing's old, way old, and advanced. Don't play nice with my equipment. Got some repairs to do because of it. Took out my VI. Why do you ask? Creed, with a smile on the half of his face, which still can, doesn't say anything as Nakora turns from the room and leaves back to the second chance where he grabs the memory core. Petra is unable to protest because she has fallen asleep in the corner of the room, hands it over to one of Creed's representatives, and receives his reward for successfully completing his vow to Creed to return the memory core from the space station prosperity to him. And with that, we have successfully completed our first iron vow, and our episode fades to black. Thank you, thank you so much for listening to this episode of One Guy, One Roll. Your ongoing support and continued interest in listening to the podcast is outstanding. It's the whole reason why I take the time to record and edit these half an hour segments for you. I know that the episode kind of ended maybe a little abruptly, but I really wanted to bring this arc to a conclusion. It's time. Time to move on from our initial vow, get out into the wider forge itself, and explore what else this universe has to offer, especially now that we're looking a little beat up and rough. We have two momentum, one health, one spirit, and one supply. We're going to have to do something, find somewhere to recuperate, to repair the ship. And of course, although it hasn't been very long yet, the vow we swore to discover what's going on with the Aegis Hold and the Brotherhood of Steel is always counting down in the background. We only have one segment of the clock filled up so far, but as we get repairs, replenish, restock, and all of that, that's going to start ticking along. So we need to start thinking about how Nakora will figure out that situation as well. As always, if you wish to provide any support for the podcast to help me cover the ongoing expenses of hosting and publishing and all of that, along with the new computer I had to buy and hopefully getting a new microphone because this one's honestly pretty rudimentary and basic, I do have a Patreon over on patreon.com slash one guy one roll. If you're at all interested and able to help support the podcast, please do go check that out. And of course, as always, a huge thank you to everybody who is able to provide support for the podcast, especially Journeyman Wes, Journeyman JL, Journeyman Stefan, Journeyman James, and Apprentice Sam. Thank you guys so much. Your ongoing support is incredible. And for everybody else who listens along, thank you for taking the time to listen to this week's episode of One Guy, One Roll.
I've been your host, player, and GM Hero Cities signing off. Have a great day and stay safe out there, y'all.